So welcome. Uh, we're at InCheap's Clothing, the record store here on Fairfax in Los Angeles. I'm here to celebrate this new release uh, or the new re-release of the Nuggets compilations. Um, we feel really lucky at InCheap's Clothing to be a part of this like cultural phenomenon of like a new generation discovering vinyl for the first time. And I think it's very special that you have uh, you've worked in a record store before, and I'm curious for you like what does the record store mean to you? Like how has it influenced like your kind of relationship with music and um, just curious, curious well it's a great repository of knowledge basically I have to say when I'm on the road I really like to kind of get out of the band hive or stay with a couple crazy members of the band hive and go and spend the day in a record store I call it uh, you know playing in the fields of the Lord because you never know what you can find there's so many musics in this world. I find it endlessly fascinating how many ways people make music in this universe. Uh, I think it's probably, for me, the greatest expression of the human spirit to, uh, you know, sing notes on whatever scale you have. <laughs> the ones in the middle and have it evoke emotion. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, you know, record stores have really only existed maybe for the past uh, century and a little bit more. So to come in, especially a record store like this, which has some, I mean, I actually bought a record here today that I'd never seen before, that I have no idea what it sounds like, but it looked like it was sparked with, with mystery. And, uh, I don't know, I, I just love that part of the human spirit. I'm glad to be able to make music, but I think of myself as an appreciator. I was once told by an astrologer that I'm a friend to music, and I believe that. Uh, I just find it endlessly fascinating. And when you meet people in a record store, you can talk to them. They show you their favorite record. You know, you show them yours. And I don't know, it's a great cultural experience, and I'm so happy that Nuggets came out on Record Store Day, which is, of course, a great celebratory of the, uh, of the human acquisitive <laughs> spirit. Yeah, and I'm curious if it's true that you met uh, Patti Smith in a record store. Yeah, uh, actually, we actually got friendly. I was working at Village Oldies in uh, Bleecker Street in Greenwich Village. Uh, I worked there six days a week. I was paid $10 a day, six hour a day. And, all the records I could filch. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sorry, Bleaker Bob. And uh, <clears throat> I, I wrote an article about a very small niche of, of doo-wop music called a cappella, which was kind of after group harmony music was over. It was actually consigned to oldies stores. That's why it was village oldies. And, uh, but there was a little niche of people who perpetuated it by singing on street corners with no musical accompaniment. And it was sold through record stores, you know, the little tri-state area I lived in from Philadelphia to New York City. And uh, I love that. And uh, I, I love the camaraderie, but I wrote about it. It was in a magazine called Jazz and Pop, and it was called The Best of Acapella, talking about these bands. And Patty read it. I'd kind of seen her from afar. Uh, on the New York scene, but I never had any enough nerve to say hello to her. And uh, she read it, and she called me up where I was staying because I didn't have an apartment at the time. And she said, uh, I was really moved by your article. 
I was really taken with that music when I grew up in South Jersey. And I said, well, come on down to the record store. When she would come, I'd put on some of our favorite records, uh, My Hero by The Blue Notes, Today's the Day by Maureen Gray, um, The Bristol Stomp, and we do The Bristol Stomp. And that's how we got friendly. And of course, one day she said, uh, I'm gonna do a poetry reading uh, at St. Mark's Church. Uh, do you know a little guitar? And I said, well, I know a very little guitar. And she said, well, do you think you can do a car crash on the guitar? And since I love uh, free jazz, I saw a couple of them really interesting ones in the bins over there. Uh, I said, yeah, I can do a car crash. And so we did our very first reading at St. Mark's Church on February 10th, 19. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 71 and who to thunk we'd have a rock and roll band. But uh, yeah, record store brought us together. And I find it fascinating too that like that particular performance, it wasn't the first performance she played at that venue um, that week where, um, so the first time she didn't have a musical company, accompaniment that I've read and there was a couple of great comments of people who were at that show and they were saying um, how incredible it was to have this like a guitar accompaniment, like, this experimental um, instrumental happening while Patty was, um, uh, was, was kind of like expressing her poetry. What do you think it was uh, as far as like why it does having this like musical accompaniment, what, how does it kind of uh, well, affect people differently? Why is it so much more magnetizing? Well, you know, there is rhythm, rhythm and melody in the best poems. And all I did with Patty when I started thinking about how to back her up in a, a few poems is just watched how she breathed. You know, the chords I was playing was about as simple as can be E to F and E to F and then a little faster and faster and slower and slower. But she had a rhythm and a melody in her voice even then, even though she hadn't even attempted to sing and we didn't think of it as a band. I mean, we didn't do another show after that until November of 73 when she asked me if I would participate in one of her Rock and Rambo readings and uh, I came up and did you know, another two or three songs with her. There was no thought that we would have a rock band, which to me is so great because not having preconceptions is really the way that you get to something unique. You know, if we decide, oh, let's have a rock and roll band, get a drummer, a bass player, you know, another guitar player, whatever, it would have sounded like a lot of other ones. But since we were so on the fringe and so into, the artistic end of what we were doing that we just let it develop. So by the time we had a band and we actually added J.D. Dougherty on drums to complete the classic rock and roll band, uh, we had one that sounded like ourselves. And that's, that's a beautiful, you know, path of evolution. And uh, of course, Patty, you know, we all know is, is continually creating, continually pushing her own boundaries. Um, always giving 110%. Like I like to say, I've stood to the left of her for over 50 years. I've never, ever heard her sing a false note, 
never saw her quote dial it in you know always tries to make the show unique to the audience and preach the word and I'm just privileged to be a part of what she does that's really beautiful because um, it's it's very common to dial it in like you can't help it I'm sure at some at some level um, for many people so for you like it sounds like it's something else it's not just musical performance but you're channeling something I'm curious and when you're on stage when you're, when you're creating music like what are you channeling like what's happening for you? I'm channeling the song I'm trying to live in the present tense of the song that's not easy you know you're sometimes thinking about the next riff that's coming up or the or the last riff that you screwed up and you know how are you gonna make up for that clam and all of these things but to actually exist in the moment when you're shifting from note to note that is a beautiful thing you're existing in the present tense and it's it's not easy you know at any moment in your life to stop and look around and see how blue the sky is and you know whatever you just ate is resonating within you and you know you're going to be in a great record store and find a a record that's going to change your life or who knows what i mean to actually experience the moment and i think that's one of the ways in which we experience this music you know when you're listening to a piece of music you're not listening to what happened for eight bars before that you're in the moment you're singing along hopefully unless you know it's not a great song <laughs> but <laughs> but you know you're 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 living the music as the music develops and and i i think that's a great thing when you can get there i mean i, I was talking with uh Patrick of uh, Rhino today, who, thank you, Patrick, put this great, 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 great uh, uh, commemorative golden anniversary edition, you know, in its proper place in, in recorded history. <laughs> um, we were talking about motorcycles, and, you know, I, I was in my mid-40s, living in Pennsylvania, not sure what I was doing there. And, and so I got wound up with six motorcycles in the garage. Sorry, I know, it's a little obsessive. I like to collect things. But after a while, I realized that there was a lot of similarities between riding a motorcycle and playing music. When you're on that bike going around a curve at 80 miles an hour, you can't look down and say, whoo, how cool I am. <laughs> you know, you're going to be dead within a second. Same thing with a guitar solo. If you stop and admire the last phrase you made, you know, you know, Clamsville is right around the corner. So, you know, you just gotta be in the moment, feel the music, it's a great thing. I like to dance, and hopefully over the next couple nights when I spin from my little box of 45s, we're gonna enjoy dancing because that's how you connect with the feel of music. And so if you're dancing along with your favorite band, or artists and you're feeling them express themselves and you get that emotion, hey, that's what music is all about. And I find it so fascinating too that it's so easy for you to be in the moment but at the same time also have um, this uh, innate, uh, innate kind of um, power to be extremely reflective. And I would, I'm curious when you were developing the concept behind Nuggets, like, um, did, you, uh, did you understand what was happening, the movement that was happening? Like, um, what part of you was being engaged then? I think the uh, more logical side, you know, I am a writer. I like to sit back and consider a sentence and what it means and be able to change it. And it's something solitary. It's not a performance art like music. Music is, you know, you're there. 
um, you know, even if you're listening to it. But writing is more contemplative. Uh, I always like to say that, you know, I love getting back from being on the road so I don't have five people telling me where they think the comma should go. <laughs> That's band life, I know, sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I mean, writing is more analytical in a certain way, though I do feel when I'm really in the zone, I'm writing guitar solos, just like if I play a guitar solo, it has a narrative arc if I'm, you know, kind of putting the punctuation where it, where it needs to be. I have both of those things in me. So I am a cultural historian. I've actually been trained for that. I have a master's degree in American history. But I also love to play music. And, and somehow, those two halves of my consciousness, the right and the left, and I never know which one gathers which one, is really how I think. I mean, I'm lucky when I play music. I don't think about it. I'm not intellectual at all. I can't read music. I'm not exactly sure what the note is on the guitar because I play by ear. And, uh, but I can feel the note. And in the same way, when I think about a piece of music, just like I thought about Nuggets and its place in the evolution and development of rock and roll, I have to say, you know, I could feel how it moved along and how it influenced me and how it still speaks to people 50 years from, you know, from its inception. It's, it's kind of crazy. You know, 1972, if you go back 50 years, you're in 1922. That's a long time ago. We'd be listening to the acoustic recordings of Al Jolson. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a leap to have a music survive for 50 years and still have an impact, and I'm so, grateful that really the music that I gathered together somewhat self-indulgently, I, I wasn't making a point really, uh, I was just kind of putting together a lot of records that seemed to fit intuitively, uh, and then they make sense 50 years later. It's crazy. Do you ever feel like any sort of um, desire to change the sequencing of the songs on the record? Like, <laughs> how does it feel like these years later? Well, is it cannabis? Is it sativa or indica? <laughs> no, I don't really, you know, once I make a decision on something, unless it pains me in the future, I, I just figure that's, that's the way it came out. You know, uh, you, you can look backwards. Uh, all those bands on Nuggets don't really look at their work and say, I don't know, I wish I had a different riff in Dirty Water. It's how they made it. Uh, it's how work is created. You know, from the artist's point of view, it might never be perfect, but at this point, I've, I've learned to go with whatever decisions I made then. And actually, especially with Nuggets, I look at the sequencing. I, I listened to it from start to finish the other night on my uh, Sirius show. Um, channel 21 bouncing off the satellite. <laughs> not AM, not FM, but XM. <laughs> but I listened to it as a whole, uh, you know, for the first time in a while. It's not a kind of collection of songs, but as a, as a journey. And I thought, man, one after another. It is great. I, I, I was on the money then. I didn't really know. I was just putting things together, but sometimes that's the way to do it. Allen Ginsberg, first thought, best thought. And uh, luckily, I had a record company, Electra, and a, a boss, Jack Holzman, who was willing to give me the room to, to figure it out on my own and not like try to 
make his mark on it. He dug it, you know, in the same way that when Patrick called me up at Rhino and said, you know, it's 50 years since Nuggets. Perhaps we could do that long-awaited volume two. And what about those also Duggets? And so, you know, we, we made a record. And uh, I listened to it and I think, yeah, that's what I wanted to say 50 years ago. And that's what I want to say now. And, uh, you know, I'm just really, I'm happy with listening to it because it captures a moment in time that has become timeless. That to me is amazing. You know, I mean, maybe I speak to my generation, but I listen to these songs just like I was out there on the floor uh, 10 minutes ago doing all the moves for Talk Talk. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was great. I really, I just loved how that record was put together. And I thought, man, this record sounds as good to me today as when I heard it over an AM radio you know, more than half a century ago. And that's how music lives on. That's what I want to do with Nuggets. Make my favorite songs live on. Because songs get forgotten. So if you keep them relevant, you know, someone out there, you know, perhaps you, Ricardo, <laughs> going to have a band and you'll hear that riff and you'll think, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to turn it sideways and have somebody rap over it and then, you know, steal a sample from here and uh, we're going to phase it out and you know you got to hit and also too like uh, obviously at this point like it also canonized the sound as well and i'm curious like um to me it's fascinating like this coin this term that got coined after the fact like garage rock and how the garage is like this American archetypal icon of like a, um, a result of like the automobile, automobile industry and its um, boom in the, in the States and representing freedom. And um, it's this American ideal. And you even see it with like a, in contemporary times or at least fairly contemporary people say like we started this company in the garage. Like it means so much, like um, especially <laughs> interesting to hear like you having this like American history, like um, focus or this, uh, this education as well. Like, why does the garage, why is it such a romantic place? <laughs> well, you need tuning for a garage band and you need to tune up your car. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a place where you go to bang on something metal. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully it runs. And it's also a way to kind of get out of your house. Um, you know, I mean, I had more of a basement rock than a garage rock. But I don't know, there's something, I'm a big fan of the internal combustion engine. As a matter of fact, when I walked in here tonight, I can't even believe it. My favorite car of all time was parked across the street. <laughs> the 1959 Chevy Impala with the, cat's, with the cat's eye things, you know, the wings on the back, a place in the, uh, in, in, in the in instrument thing where you could put your pack of cigarettes there perfectly, you know. One of those windows, the vents, so you could stick your arm out. I mean, what a beautiful car. And there it was. And I just thought, you know, that's what a band is. You want to build a beautiful, a beautiful car. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a great place to try to understand who you are. You can make more noise than you can in your, in your house. Um, and uh, there's tools on the wall, whether they're like socket wrenches or, uh, or uh, you know, guitars. 
I don't know why. I mean, I, the word garage rock is not mentioned at all in the original Nuggets. I called it punk rock, even though, and which was a kind of term that rock writers use to describe a certain attitude in music. You know, garage rock came later, but yeah, I, I think that's even more fitting because punk rock got to, <laughs> taken over by another generation of bands. Yeah, and I'm curious then too, like um, the act of documentation, I feel, uh, deserves to be far more sexy than it is as far as like um, being <laughs> able to um, create like a time capsule of a period, especially one as like a, as impactful as what you've captured with Nuggets. Um, was that something you were aware of, of like, oh, I must capture this before it's lost? And um, like, what, is, that, like, is that something you think about? That, that's an interesting way to put it. I didn't realize it at the time because I didn't realize it was going to be lost so quickly. But yeah, you are recapturing a time and a space when things evolved. Uh, I called it a transition period, but I think that's more where I was in the evolution of rock and roll more than anything because it's all evolving you know nuggets say would involve and in, evolve into punk rock which would involve into new wave and synth pop and then hair metal and all the kind of scenes that i covered where things transform in my book uh, lightning striking 10 transformative moments in rock and roll <laughs> but but they were there were times when suddenly the music shifted not slowly but suddenly, in the same way that when Elvis came along, he rendered obsolete an entire generation of popular singers, most of whom were really pissed off about it, in the same way that the Beatles changed what you heard on the radio, not over a period of months, but in a period of weeks. Um, you know, hair metal turning into grunge. I mean, you can say all whatever the phrases are, and they're really actually means the end of the music because it means that they're defined and they figure themselves out. I like the first couple years personally when nobody knows what's happening, just like in Nuggets, and they're oh, throwing a bunch of stuff together and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's horrendous and sometimes it's pretentious and sometimes it's shot through with instinctive genius. And really, that's a great moment when people don't know. I think of early CBGB. You know, bands were not punk rock. There was about seven or eight mongrel bands, all of whom, as Tom Verlaine once said, were a different idea. I like that. They all had a kind of weird sensibility that something was changing. But really, it was, you know, and then it suddenly gets hardened and hardened. And then punk rock means the Ramones template. And really, I love the Ramones. You know, I think they were geniuses and you know, the fact that none of them are alive to play Dodger Stadium is amazing, because I think they could fill it up at this point. But the fact is, is that then it became punk rock. And so it hardened into a style. And when it hardens into a style, it becomes a stereotype. And when it becomes a stereotype and a definition, time to change the channel. And uh, it's nice to see how that works. I mean, I'm sure it works now. The music we listen to on, uh, you know, the top 10 of uh, Spotify or whatever sounds a lot different than the music that was 10 years ago. I don't know what to call it. I have my favorite songs, some of which uh, I'm embarrassed to, uh, <laughs> to reveal to all of you. Except I do think that 
A, B, C, D, E, F, U by Gail is genius. Oh my God, what a song. I listened to that, I thought, fuck you, fuck you, fear. But not your dog. It's like, okay. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I mean, I love evolution. As I like to say, I'm not nostalgic. I don't, I don't think music was better in the, in the past. I might have been more a part of it. But, I, you know, that doesn't bother me at all. I like the future. I like the fact that we have new tools to make music. I like the fact that future generations are going to look at Nuggets and think, what exactly is a guitar? Even though I do think that the guitar will last because it takes, you know, you can learn those three chords in five minutes. And then, like me, you can spend a lifetime learning exactly how to express it and all its many intricacies. But yeah, I mean, I, I think in a weird way, the music on Nuggets is really old fashioned. Uh, you know, on the other hand, it's there in the same way that romantic piano music of the mid 1850s, like Chopin, has figured itself out, or Dixieland jazz, or bebop, or swing, or any of the other genres that we've been through over the years. I like the progression, and they're inventing genres that have no name now. And uh, I'm curious to see what they are. I might not be a part of it, but that doesn't mean that I can't appreciate the forward motion. Um, you know, so whatever, whatever is, uh, you know, ongoing, it's, the mu it's like listening to music. You know, music might exist in the past, but nobody's, you know, going to sing the blues better than Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf. You know, they'll, they'll, it's a time of interpretation as opposed to innovation. And I think that's pretty much true of rock and roll. It doesn't matter. I have, you know, 60 plus years to uh, still find the wacky group or the, uh, you know, the 45 that's going to be my favorite 45 for the next two weeks until it gets lost in the piles. <laughs> and then I'll come on in 10 years and go, wow. I just bought four other copies because I didn't know I had this. Um, anyway, I, I just love forward movement, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it, it's how I, the soundtrack of our lives, truly. Yeah. I'm curious too. Like you've seen so many cataclysmic moments in music. Is there a, a recipe? Like what creates these massive shifts that you see that excites you so much? I don't know. It's it's so. There is no recipe. It's kind of the best way to do it is kind of vaguely. You know, people are putting it together. If they're following a recipe, you know how it's going to turn out. You know, maybe you'll use a little more salt or, you know, cut some shallots or whatever they are into it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just like that moment where somebody starts dreaming of something new. And when that happens, things incrementally move forward. Um, you know, this is the 21st century. If you look back 100 years, radio is still t dialed in on a crystal set. You know, I'm going to get Pittsburgh, you know, for 20 minutes while the clouds pierce. <laughs> Movies have yet to talk, not to mention invent CGI. Um, records are, you know, recorded in the most primitive manner. They've only just progressed into flat records. Um, television, not even existing. I mean, that's 100 years ago. And look where we are now. And with the internet, you know, lighting a fire behind, uh, underneath change, 
you know, I mean, everybody's talking about this AI thing, you know, I mean, who knows when it figures out what to do with those three chords and make them irresistible to you. Luckily, I'll still be listening to Cobra Records from 1950. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this rush, man, you had it, dog. Well, I don't know, it, it's interesting to see what happens. I think anybody who has lived a lifetime in music, and I have, and I've, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm growing older with music, but you know, I'm, this dog ain't gonna learn that many new tricks. Um, you seen so much change from when you started. I mean, I was young enough to see the first glimmers of Elvis. I was too young, really, to, you know, appreciate him, except, you know, the older kids seemed to be discussing whether they hated Elvis or loved Elvis. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of change. I've seen a lot of change in record making, you know, from the, you know, our first single with Patty, we recorded on an A track and only used four of them, you know, and now you can have a billion tracks and spend your lifetime editing them, and editing is kind of fun. It's like writing, you know, you can, you know, turns things upside down or sideways. It's, it's just, there's so much possibility. I think, when I think about Nuggets, I think about all these people kind of intoxicated with possibility, you know, that all of a sudden rock and roll had opened up from being a quote, kids music, to having the breadth of art. That you could take this from some this and some this and you could be pretentious and try to do a concept album on this and that. It was a great renaissance. Patty always thinks of it, the 60s especially, as the renaissance of rock and roll. You had these incredible figures. Jimi Hendrix, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, um, you know, the Grateful Dead. All, all these bands pushing the envelope as far as it could go. And it was a very exciting time to grow up and I just hope for whatever generation is out there first starting to make their music that they feel that sense of empowerment and experimentation and, and excitement and, and the, the high of coming up with something that nobody would ever heard before. Yeah. And one thing I also find really beautiful is like with this release, it inspired so many other bands um, who got a hold of it to make their versions of it or to kind of imbue themselves um, with that same sort of uh, spirit. Um, I'm curious, uh, with this release, um, obviously now you're, you're also presenting it to a whole new generation, like how, how, did you how did you want, like what did you want to include in this new um, re release and like how did you, um, are you thinking about how it's going to affect, you know, this generation of like new, new, new listeners? I mean, I don't know, mostly this release was like closure for me. I had a list for, vo for volume two um, that, you know, never got made. And so I always thought I only told half the story okay. or two and a half of the story, however, you know. So it's nice to have kind of a sense of closure about it. I do believe that hearing this record 50 years later, it's a different living, listening experience. Some of the tracks that were obscure or kind of unknown at the time are now garage rock classics that you've heard probably more times than you need to. Some of it is too accessible now. 
there's not that sense of discovery, but there's also a sense of the canon being classical. And, uh, you know, so I'm just happy to hear all these records in one place, continuing the tale as I might have told it way back when, how it, uh, you know, how it moves into the culture now. It will find its people, you know, uh, or, or not. I mean, there's so much music awaiting you at this point at the graves of a computer key. Um, I'm curious whether it will have an impact, but it, does, it doesn't matter, it exists. And whoever finds it, that one kid in the middle of the country uh, leading a kind of mutated life and hears, you know, question mark in the Mysterians, a true mutation <laughs> talking about 96 tears, who knows what, what chord it will strike. And the chord is the right word because, you know, it's got at least two or three notes in it. <laughs> and sometimes it's got a ninth and a seventh and a diminished and all those other notes I don't know how to play. But uh, you don't know what, you send stuff out into the universe. What sticks to the wall, you don't know. And if there's a, a two million people, well then you have a massive hit. And there's, if there's one person who discovers that rogue track and has it transformed, well that's as good as anything. Um, all you got to do is make sure it's out there and available and ready for hearing in whatever form you want to hear it. And what went into creating the booklet that's included in the release? <laughs> I, I, sent, uh, I sent Rhino, I actually found the box of Nuggets stuff in my mess of a house and I, I tried not to lose track of it because sometimes things get buried and you know they come up 20 years later. You think, I've been looking for that for so long. But I had, a, I had a box of kind of letters and the original note cards and, and uh, just this you know, wacky stuff. The original manuscript of my liner notes with full crossing outs because we didn't have uh, word processing in those days. I know it's hard to believe. So you had to write your thing and then do a lot of crossing out and retype it. That was hell. Um, and then, you know, so I found all that and I got to see the process because that's what's interesting to me. The booklet's about the process, how nuggets happened. And kind of surprises me because I, I didn't, you know, I just did it every day. Sometimes I didn't think the record was going to come out. Sometimes they call me up and we'd move it a little bit further. But, uh, you know, it's like listening to these thousands of outtakes of the Beatles making a song. Um, Helter Skelter, I just heard the demo of El Helter Skelter and it's like slow and hasn't got the uh, middle part to it. And, you know, we're all interested in how it's done. Uh, and, uh, so it was interesting for me to go back and, and look at the journey that Nuggets took to what it is because, you know, for the last, you know, many years, I, it's just been Nuggets. I did it, you know, sometimes I don't think about the many pathways it could have been, the different songs that might have been on it. Um, but I'm really happy that all, all these songs are now there within a beautiful package, a hallucinogenic box. Uh, mm -hmm. a poster. <laughs> I mean, you know, and uh, I'm just happy to uh, represent it and sing the songs on uh, May 19th down at the Alex Theater in Glendale. 
We're going to have a beautiful uh, uh, Nuggets tribute night with a lot of uh, members of those bands, some uh, modern singers, and uh, a general sense of uh, whoop-de-doo, and for good cause also uh, uh, to benefit autism research. So, so, so important. So that's May 19th, and anybody who wants to come and be entertained by me doing uh, Pushing Too Hard and a bunch of guests doing other tracks of Nuggets, and it's gonna be a beautiful night, and I look forward to it, because the music needs to be listened to and played. In the end, they're all great songs with a lot of character, and uh, that's why uh, it's a Nugget, if you dug it. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, yeah, we can definitely talk to that. Well, thank you, Tata. This was yeah. a great interview. You're really great. fun. It's been wonderful being in this record store. I even bought a record here. I can't believe it. <laughs> I, I, I vowed not to... Uh, what did you buy, out of curiosity? Uh, it's a Japanese record by a group from the 90s uh, called... Uh, what is it? Shaku Shizuka. Suzuka. I was attracted by the cover. That's part of it. But it was described to me by... Uh, the guy who runs this, you know, who works Johnny. the, Johnny who works the store, he said, it's noisy but beautiful. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's a good blurb. I'll take it. <laughs> and so I'll, you know, it's a double album uh, from a group that has a very strange backstory. I'll, I'll allow you to go on uh, the Webonet and find it out. But uh, it's just a really, you know, I just love discovering music. I, I feel blessed because I get up in the morning, I can think about what music I'm going to listen to what I'm going to work on, what I'm going to smoke a joint halfway through the afternoon and get obsessed with and go down the rabbit hole. I believe uh, Patrick and I discovered today that uh, Red Foley is our new rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's going to, you know, it's only going to be, might be only a foot deep, but you never know when it comes out into Wonderland. <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you to Dublab. Thank you for this beautiful record store. It's really, uh, it's really classy. Great books on the wall. Uh, I had my eye on some of them, but you know, as much as I don't want to buy records, I really have too many books. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's a great record store, and uh, it's right down here on Fairfax. And uh, come on down and let's, uh, you know, support your local independent uh, emporium. Amen to that. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us, honey. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you so much. Great. Great. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Those are talking. That was really good. Great. Thanks. Tomorrow, the party at Gold Diggers. Oh. Yes. Okay. Tomorrow, the party at Gold Diggers. I got to say, this one is right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a live band. It's got two superstar DJs plus myself. Uh, spinning vinyl, through vinyl. It's got a psychedelic light show, uh, and I'm sorry to be appealing to prurian interest, but not one but two go-go girls. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be having a good time there. I like to dance, so when I'm spinning, if you want to come up and ask me to uh, boogaloo, I will be more than happy to. And uh, I don't know, just thank you for coming out and uh, supporting uh, this, this really beautiful album and uh, this great interview that Tana did with me. And uh, it's just, you know, thank you so much. You guys are thank great. You. Yeah. Thank you. More nuggets?
More, more nuggets. nuggets. More, more. <laughs>